Welcome to Rethink, the future of skilled nursing, a podcast from Skilled Nursing News. I'm your host, Maggie Flynn. It's a skilled nursing cliche. Regional mid-sized operators are the ones best positioned to thrive. For a while, Consulate Healthcare's trajectory seemed to illustrate that. The company grew fast and then had to reduce its portfolio and streamline operations. Now it's 140 buildings in six states, down from more than 200 buildings in 2015. But getting there wasn't an easy process. My guest today, Consulate CEO Chris Bryson, has been the leader for the Florida-based operator throughout it. We talked about turning Consulate around and how large operators can still succeed in skilled nursing as long as they make some adjustments. I am joined today by Chris Bryson, the CEO of Consulate Healthcare, and I am looking forward to discussing the work that you've done, Chris, with Consulate because there has been quite a bit starting from 2015 when you joined the company. And I would like to get your perspective just to start. What was the state of Consulate when you joined it? And what is the work that you have been doing to get it to the point that it is at right now. So hello, Maggie, and thank you for having me today. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, we've been doing a lot with Consulate over the past several years. I've called it a transformation of the complete company. When I joined in 2015, the organization was a product of a lot of mergers and acquisitions that were happening around 2011, 2012. And for Consulate, it doubled in size overnight due to one of those mergers in 2012. And so when I arrived in 2015, the company was 208 buildings operating across 21 different states. And it quickly became apparent to me that we had to sort of streamline the company. The reason being is as 21 states, we had a lot of states that the company operated in, you know, two in Idaho and one in Montana and one in New Mexico and two in Kansas. And and then we had 140 buildings that were in six states. And so, you know, as a product of those mergers that happened, the company was operating on two different platforms, uh, two different clinical systems, two different financial systems. And there never really was a, a complete integration of the two companies. And so that created a lot of regulatory problems. It, it created a lot of clinical outcome problems, and it created a lot of policy issues, quite frankly, at a building level, not knowing which sort of policies to follow. And so I quickly, one of the first things I did was was hit the road, and I met face-to-face. I took several weeks and met face-to-face with 170 of our executive directors, and just with a pad of paper and a pen and said, you know, tell me what's going on here. What are our barriers, and what's preventing us from being excellent. And I had a lot of really good feedback and I brought that back in and and sat down with our management teams and we came up with a, a plan for consulate. And it was a, a multi-year plan of how to completely retool the organization, both from the breadth of the organization, from how many buildings we serve to how we were structured internally and how we operated to to how we did business at our local markets. And I think that was the beginning of our journey. 
I actually want to go back a little bit, even before that journey began, even before 2015 when you joined, because something that you mentioned was the fact that it was the product of a lot of mergers and acquisitions that were happening at the time. What I'm curious about is why was that the landscape at the time? And I guess as much as you can speak to how the company ended up at a point where it was doubling in size overnight. What were some of the factors that led to those acquisitions? What was the ethos behind them? And then what was the main reason that you realized it had to change? Yeah, I think that, you know, a lot for Consulate, we were an operating company. We were a management company. And so there were a lot of real estate transactions going on during that time where, real estate portfolios were being sold and new buyers were coming in that wanted a good operator and one that they trusted and and respected. And so I think that was an opportunity for Consulate at the time in 2012 to take over a significantly larger portion from a real estate transaction. And that's why they doubled. You know, for us, and, and once I got here, I saw that my philosophy will say is this, I think that big companies can do really well, but I think that you have to change the way you operate. In other words, I think the best thing for our industry is a big company with local market autonomy and big company resources. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of advantages to a, to a larger company. Scale is good from purchasing power to education and development of employees and career paths. And there's a lot of advantages to a larger company. I think that's, to answer your question, and I think that's one of the reasons why you saw a lot of these mergers. But at the same time, you have to blend local market autonomy with that large-scale platform. And you need to figure out a way to give your local leaders running buildings in their communities the autonomy to react nimbly to things that they see and the authority to to do what they need to do to properly care for their patients and meet the needs of their families and their referral sources and and stakeholders. And that became our mantra is, is, you know, how do we transition into a local market company with big company resources? Can you talk a bit about how you pulled that off, especially when at the time that you came on, you had essentially the two different platforms and the two different tracks, for lack of a better term. How do you go from something that big to giving the local leaders resources? And how do you do that without messing up the broader picture and keeping those larger resources and this the resources and the scale? Yeah, very carefully. <laughs> I think um, just my personality, I think first thing you have to do is you have to have a plan. And we spent, before we even did one thing, we spent a long time laying out a three-year strategic plan of of how we wanted to make this shift. And there were several major themes, Maggie. You know, I think that, you know, one for us was I didn't want to accomplish that in 21 states and 208 properties. And so I wanted to streamline our portfolio to 140 buildings in six geographically clustered States. And so first thing we did was lay out a plan to divest of 68 of those properties, all the ones that were in states where we didn't have a, a significant volume. And so that was a process. And we, we started that and we completed that in the fourth quarter of 2018. So it took us a couple years to get through that process. Simultaneously, we needed to restructure the way that we operated the company. And you know, we were two management teams put together. We were pretty heavy on overhead, and we needed to 
retool ourselves so that we push resources out of a corporate management company and closer to the bedside. And so we restructured ourselves to where we created little mini companies. And those mini companies could stand on their own uh, and they operated just like a facility, you know, and that was the kind of the theme that we used. We said, listen, all of us have sat in a seat one place or another in a nursing home or a healthcare center. We've either been an executive director or a director of nursing or a MDS coordinator or an admissions person. And we know what a high functioning healthcare center is like. It's a strong executive director or administrator and department heads, and they're interdisciplinary. And just because you've got promoted up through an organization doesn't mean you've lost what it was like to be successful in a building. And so we just recreated that same model in a small company. So we had little mini companies that ran multiple buildings in the same fashion a nursing home ran with you know, a director of operations, clinical nurses, MDS, admissions, and so on and so forth. And they were able to operate independent of a large management company. They had full autonomy to do what they needed to do running their little local business, but yet they could access the bigger company platform for purchasing IT infrastructure, accounting and finance. And, you know, the last piece of that, I think, is the really most important. You know, when you're in a, in a skilled nursing facility running in day in and day out, you're focused on taking care of patients, taking care of families, and meeting the needs of your stakeholders, i.e. surveyors, referral sources, and things like that. You don't want to be bothered with computer systems and accounting and finance and IT infrastructure. And so we could take all of that off of their minds and allow them to just focus on patient care and running their businesses. And I I think that was a real key strategy for us. And it allowed us to downsize because if we, you know, divested of a state or a region or an area or a market, then we could let that little company go along with the new buyer. And same token goes to if we want to add, we can plug in, it's almost like a plug and play. We can plug in a new company to run a nice small group of facilities. So it became real key to us going through that divestiture process. How long would you say that took? And what were, and I guess, can you talk about some of the challenges? Because that sounds like it wouldn't be necessarily the easiest process in the world. Well, no, it wasn't easy. It took us about almost three years. We laid out a three-year strategic plan. We took all of it. It took us almost three years to complete the divestitures that I talked about. We reorganized and retooled the operating company within the first six, nine months. But it took us a little, it took us probably another year to really routinize that process. I mean, to really understand that these local market leaders have the ability to run their businesses. And then quite frankly, if I could just be blunt, you know, we had to look for a different type of leader in some of those areas because big companies are sometimes guilty of just a top-down approach, sort of it's our way or the highway, and they just kind of shove it down through the organization and say, you're going to do this in this manner 
in this set of guidelines. And sometimes leaders that operate in that structure are just doers and not entrepreneurs. And so we had to go out and really do talent evaluation of the leaders that we had and make some tough decisions on, you know, we really need entrepreneurs running these local businesses. And just to give you an idea, we have and currently today, we have 12 different local market companies that operate inside of consulate. So we had to make sure that we had the right leaders in that. And sometimes that takes time. So I would say, you know, we sort of perfected that. Well, perfected is not the right word. I don't think we've ever perfected anything, but we got pretty good at it, maybe about a year into that process. And I think that's where we really started to see a change in our quality, a change in our performance metrics. And it's probably what I'm most proud of is the significant improvement in survey outcomes, the significant improvement in our quality metric scores and our retention and turnover of staff. And and we, I watched it. It was really cool because I got a chance to sit outside of the organization and watch the culture change. People with a sense of ownership had a whole different feel about the company than they did just sort of, I'll use this quote, working for the man, you know, and when they felt that ownership, it just created a really cool culture. And, and we sort of started to see that reflect in our turnover and retention scores. And that's when I knew we were, we were at least on the right path. In terms of where you are on that path, it's um, obviously the three-year plan has made progress. I'm curious, what are you looking to do next in terms of quality, in terms of retention, in terms of staffing, all of the key things that are related to, you know, providing better care at the bedside? What is your next set of targets now that you've, you know, made some good headway on working with the three-year strategic plan that you mentioned? What's in your sights next? Yeah, we have several things. And I Listen, I, I would be remiss if I didn't say it wasn't all peaches and cream. You know, it wasn't rose petals. We had some tough times. And I think that we were trying to pull off this restructuring. And I will say I've been doing this 25 years, probably the toughest time in the skilled nursing industry that I've seen over the last several years. And But, you know, we had really great partners in this whole thing. And we had to go through some financial restructuring as well. We needed to make sure we had appropriate resources at the building level. So we had to renegotiate leases with our landlord partners. We had to renegotiate contracts with our vendor partners. We had to renegotiate with our banks. And so while we were doing all this operating model changes, we were also doing some financial restructuring as well. But that's put us in a place, getting to your question, Maggie, that's put us in a place now where I think we can set our sights on the future. And, you know, it was never my intention to shrink down from 208 to 140 and stay at 140. There's an old adage of a shrink to grow mentality. And that's what it was. And I think we're now at that place where we are looking to continue to expand our our company, but we're going to do it strategically. And I'll say, you know, we're going to be smart about it. And the beauty of it for me, as I look at our management teams and our local market leaders, is that I don't have to worry about how we do it. We've already got the structure in place. So we look for strategic opportunities in the core states we're in, being, you know, Florida, North Carolina, Virginia, Pennsylvania, Mississippi, Louisiana, 
or even contiguous states that we'd like to, to be in, but with enough mass that we can create another little company to run those buildings that knows that market, that's invested in that market and understands that state's reimbursement and the state's regulatory process and the local communities that it's serving. And so, you know, I do see consulate, the consulate family growing, but we'll do it in a manner that is just like how we downsized by small regional companies adding to our, our book of business. This is interesting because one of the first adages that I remember hearing when I first started covering skilled nursing was the emphasis on regional and the emphasis on players that were maybe smaller, more concentrated. And you seem to be trying to balance the needs of the big company and the regional. I guess what I'm curious about is, you know, how do you maintain the scale and retain the ability to respond locally? And and I guess what would be the top considerations as you look at a new region, as you look at an acquisition, while keeping in mind the fact that you are 140 buildings in, in six different states? Yeah. So I think there's a couple of different ways to answer that. I think one, from my chair, technology played a huge part in in how we accomplish this and how we accomplish going forward. So, you know, back to my philosophy of your local market leaders need to run their business. We had to change how we deployed resources, how we made resources available to them. And our investment in technology played a huge role in that. So we rolled out electronic health records, electronic documentation, we rolled out some telehealth products and things like that that were an investment for those local businesses to have access to. It also selfishly gave us the ability to see how we're doing on a certain set of performance metrics. And those were all around quality. And I get that question a lot. I get that question of, you know, well, certainly you monitor census and and labor and bad debt and all the financial metrics. And I'm always proud to say, you know, if if you look at our dashboard, it's all about people and quality. So it's all about monitoring, you know, are employees engaged? Are we keeping them? Are we able to, you know, attract talent and retain talent? And then on our quality dashboard, it's all about our outcomes on quality. And I think that our IT infrastructure has given us the ability to kind of see and make sure that we're doing, we're putting our money where our mouth is and that we're doing what we said we're going to do. And then also identify where we need to help and coach and teach and mentor those local leaders that aren't getting the outcomes up to the standard that we would like. Would you say that's one of the top things that you're going to be looking to deal with over the next couple of years even? I'm just curious because there's obviously quite a few different shifts in the skilled nursing landscape right now. We just had the patient-driven payment model take effect at the start of this month. And if you look across multiple different states, Medicaid reimbursement for skilled nursing facilities is on quite a few providers' minds. So what would you say just are some of your top priorities in terms of external factors like the patient-driven payment model or Medicaid or something else? And then what would you say are the internal priorities? Yeah, I won't way far from what I just talked about, and that's people and quality. My biggest concerns externally are around those two things. If I, if I was thinking about it from the traditional swat of external threats, it's the labor market 
and the ability to to attract and retain staff to take care of our patients. I, I have never seen this business so depleted from the standpoint of certified nursing assistants and nurses. And, you know, if you follow the demographics that many of the experts talk about and, and the patients that are going to be coming into our buildings in the future, probably my biggest worry is, are we going to have enough nurses and aides in the workforce to care for those folks? And so a lot of my time is spent and our management team's time is spent is, you know, how do we attract these folks? And I don't mean from other skilled nursing providers. <laughs> I mean, how do we attract these folks from, you know, in Florida, from the, the tourist attractions that are employing everybody to come work in skilled nursing, from the retail settings to come work in skilled nursing? I mean, we need to, as an industry, figure out how we can attract employees, staff, to want to go take care of America's seniors. And so that's a big concern for me. The next one is quality, not from what I control, but from a regulatory standpoint. You know, the overburdensome regulations that I see being handed down through CMS and, I, you know, that continues to be a stress on us. It stresses our employees from a, from a satisfaction standpoint. I think it makes it tough for us to recruit. It stresses us from a financial standpoint and just a, a credibility standpoint. So, you know, I hope that our leaders in Washington and in our states and in CMS and our regulatory bodies can find their way to, to help us somehow change the lens from, from a, I'll call it, big brother to a collaborative approach, because I think we all need to be invested. And I know that sounds kind of pie in the sky, but you know, having been around a lot of years, we used to have a collaborative approach with our our regulatory agencies. It was all about improving care, and I feel like we've lost that over the years with our regulatory agencies. What do you think some of the top areas for collaboration could be between skilled nursing providers and the regulatory agencies? Well, I'm hesitant to go down too big a road uh, here, but... You know, I've had many meetings where I've said, you know, one of our biggest issues is that there's no alignment of interests between our our regulatory bodies and our skilled nursing operators. And people may be, you know, mouth open, you know, shocked at me saying that. But the issue to me is that our regulatory agencies are monitored and graded and their bosses grade them on how many tags are written how many deficiencies are cited, and what scope and severity. And they're viewed, and just look at what's going on on, in Washington, if the amount of tags goes down, they're viewed as not doing their job rather than quality has improved. And, you know, so their grade card, you know, their scorecard says more tags is better. And my scorecard is less tags and less deficiencies is better. So I'm out there trying to make sure that we're taking good care of patients and that we're reducing the amount of deficiencies that are written and our regulatory bodies are being graded on more. And so as long as our interests aren't aligned, I think it's really tough. I think we combat that, to to your question, I think we combat that by 
really focusing on quality metrics and outcomes. And if we could get our survey bodies and regulatory bodies to be aligned with with um, quality outcomes, then I think our interests are aligned. And so I, I hope that there's going to be conversations like that in the future. It'll be interesting to see how it shakes out across the different states, given uh, how different they all can be. Chris, thank you so much for making the time to join me today. I really enjoyed the conversation. Well, great. Well, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Rethink, the future of skilled nursing. If you like what you heard, please subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. And for more news and insights in the skilled nursing industry, subscribe to our daily or weekly newsletters at skillednursingnews.com. I'm Maggie Flynn, and this has been a production of Aging Media Network, Chicago, Illinois.